Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Brian Amaral, in for Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Soccer is in the news right now, around the globe with the start of the 2022 Men's World Cup in Qatar, and here in Rhode Island, which is getting a new professional men's soccer team in 2024. Brett Johnson is the developer behind the newly named Rhode Island FC. He joins us today to talk about the team, its new stadium that's being built in Pawtucket, and why it's worth $60 million in taxpayer funds. Our conversation, after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here in the studio with Brett Johnson, the co-founder of Rhode Island FC and the developer behind Tidewater Landing in Pawtucket. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Brian. It's been an absolute pleasure. Let's start with the name. You guys announced it recently, Rhode Island FC. It's sort of traditional. Soccer fans will recognize it immediately as sort of a traditional classic name for a team. Why Rhode Island FC? Why'd you pick that one? You know, from our perspective, and again, I think you've got to give credit to Rhode Islanders because we went up and down the fine state in listening tours and, and the majority of people were saying, look, this is, that's classic. That's a classic name. And the reality is, in a nod to them, I totally agreed with that. Let's keep it simple, Rhode Island FC. And then, you know, where the focus was, uh, was on the crest. That, that's where we said we're going to effectively, you know, make sure we make a statement. And, and I'm biased. I try to admit my lack of objectivity. But to nail, which is the local partner that we used here in Providence, pun intended, they nailed it. I think it's as good a crest as I've ever had the fortune of being involved with. And I can tell you from the fact that we're having a hard time keeping the merchandise in stock. It's certainly being well-received. We actually have one of these scarves right here. I'll describe it for our listeners. It, it has an RI. It has an, it has an anchor for the nautical theme for Rhode Island. It has a, a lightning bolt. It, it's amber in color and bay blue. When you see this, what, what do you see in this? What pops out to you there that really speaks to Rhode Island? My tactical direction to nail was I felt it was imperative to have the R and the I in the crest. I grew up in New York City. You have the NY for the New York Yankees. I lived in the Bay Area for a while, SF for San Francisco Giants. You know, I live in LA, LA for the Dodgers. And, you know, coming and spending so much time in this beautiful state, I really didn't see Rhode Island RI in any piece of merchandise. So I really saw it as kind of a blue ocean opportunity for us. Where I really struggled, and so why I'm not a designer, was how do you do a great job incorporating RI? And, and again, I think this is as brilliant through, you know, the RI into the anchor. I mean, it was brilliant. The moment we saw it, we were all, we basically were all doing a standing ovation. The designer at Nail 
was so committed to it, actually tattooed it. Not, not like temporary, not like I hope you like this, and if not, I'll just wash this off. Permanent tattoo. It was like, look, I don't care if you guys choose it or not. I chose it. And Mike Drop showed the crest on his arm. Are you going to get one too? Or is it? It's funny. I, I said when Ipswich gets back to the Premier League, I'll get a tattoo. Maybe what I do is get on the opposite side. God willing, Ipswich gets back up to the Premier League, I'll have the RI crest as well. So team nickname, team chance, those are in soccer, fandom, those are things that the supporters come up with. When you were on your tour, did you hear any good suggestions? I got a good suggestion on Twitter. It was uh, that the fan section should be called the Bucket Brigade. But have you heard any uh, uh, good suggestions out there I, for? We might have to run that by Mayor Gravian, but I I, uh, I, like, I like it. I, I, I guess I'm local enough now to understand and appreciate it. But um, I can't wait to see what these supporters do. They're already trying to figure out what, you know, where they're going to do their pregame, how they're going to march to the stadium. And they've run some they've run some names by me, and I'm confident that whether it's uh, the Bucket Brigade or else otherwise, they're going to come up with some great stuff. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection to the state and to soccer. You, you graduated from Brown. You're a part owner of Ipswich Town, the soccer club in England's third tier. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this project. Yeah, so uh, as you said, graduated from Brown. Loved every minute that I spent in the Ocean State. I mean, truly fell in love with this place. But my career kind of lay elsewhere. I moved to California, ultimately ended up running a company that brought me to London, a computer accessory company called Targus. And I sat there for five years traveling all over the world. And as I said, I kind of saw the religion by which the rest of the world reveres the other football. And long, long story short, I was brought back to Southern California to run that company, the worldwide company. And we sold the business and I started a private equity company. And about eight years ago, I had an epiphany that the biggest market in the United States without a professional soccer team was Phoenix. I bought a USL championship team called Phoenix Rising. I basically bought the predecessor team. It's called Arizona United. Rebranded it to Phoenix Rising. We brought Didier Drogba in for those soccer fans out there who will know exactly who he is, one of the greatest players of all time, certainly arguably Chelsea's greatest player of all time, who finished up his career with us. We built a modular stadium in a great location. And as that team really started to do well, I started to think about other markets that would benefit from the beautiful game. Rhode Island was top of the list. And so for a lot of reasons, as I saw the media ratings where Rhode Island was consistently in the top 10, but it would be the only market without a team, the entrepreneur had, again, kind of led me to believe, like, look, I should, I should consider bringing a team there. The advent of the Paw Sox leaving, you know, accelerated that. I, at that point, I was like, this is an absolute no-brainer. You know, fast forward, quick four years later, we're, here we are. Do you have a stadium naming rights deal and a, and a kit sponsorship? Do you have that lined up? What do you think about that? Yeah, so we, so again, one of the many highlights of this week, the amount of outreach that we've had relative to corporate partners that are interested in talking to us on, on both those fronts. And then also what became very clear, the amount of corporate demand for suites in the stadium. Um, we're literally going to go back to our architects because we don't have enough suites. So all high-class situations. I, I've got a ton of Rhode Island companies that I love the thought of, you know, either being the stadium naming rights where, you know, sitting there off I-95, it's about as good a location as you can have with, with, you know, again, the stadium in lights there for all the cars to see. And then the front of Jersey as the team travels across the country, I think there's some great opportunities, you know. I'm winking at CVS and Hasbro and Breeze, if any of you are listening, and <laughs> all the great banks and healthcare institutions and education institutions. So if any of you are listening to this show, it's Brett Johnson, <laughs> Rhode Island FC. <laughs>
You mentioned the suites. Do you have any sense of what the lower level, t- you know, for families, for people who don't have high incomes, wh- what what is the bargain basement price that you're going to put the? So the quick at? answer right now is I don't have that off the top of my head, and if, if you, admit, you know, it's better for me to hold off on that. But what I will emphasize is we intend on it being an affordable product for sure. And again, whether you put it up against any of the other major sports options in the broader region, I have no doubt about it. This will be the best sporting entertainment experience that anyone could put their money for. That that I have no doubt about. From my experience, both in Ipswich and, and with Phoenix Rising, we cater from someone who's walk-up student, you know, or just a family of four that day of that want to get tickets, and we're going to have seats that will accommodate that at a good price, all the way up to the highest-end corporate sponsor that's in here and wants an, an unreal experience, or someone who literally wants uh, field seats. The best ticket that we had in Phoenix Rising is those field seats, and they're fantastic. You can't get closer to the action unless you're a player. It's a $124 million stadium, the most expensive in USL championship history. Of that, the public's going to pay for about $45 million between the state and the city. What do you say to people who say, stadium is great, soccer is great, but a rich developer should pay for it himself? Look, I, I really wish in the definition I think of what they're describing as rich, I wish I was in that category. I'm not a billionaire. I'm not the owner of NYCFC who can build their stadium seemingly you know, without the requisite public support. The reality is almost every stadium project is publicly supported, full stop. There are exceptions to the rule. I will grant that. But by and large, these are absolute public assets. The team is a public asset for sure. And so from my perspective, I'm very proud of the incredible amount of private equity we're putting into it and the amount of private equity we will continue to put into the project because I think when it's all said and done, it'll be one of the highest amounts of private investment that goes into a project in the history of the state. And I'm talking about the complete project, the housing, et cetera. Yeah, just to remind people about what happened, uh, there was cost inflation of about 50% for the stadium, and the state had dedicated some money to some of the work around the project and instead shifted it to the stadium itself. That leaves for another day these questions about um, how the housing is going to get built, how the retail and commercial space is going to get built, and also when it's going to get built. When, when do you think you're going to have the broader vision, the housing, all this big development? When is that going to be done, and how much how much more public support do you think you're going to have to ask for it? So let me start with the last question. A quick answer is I don't know. As far as when we're going to start, we're starting right now. We've started years ago. I mean, we've always had a vision. The entire RFP that we responded to, my entire business plan is predicated on building multifamily housing and a host of other assets on all of these sites, including the Apex site. So when we are done, this will truly be this 30 plus acres of prime riverfront real estate right off I-95, right outside of Providence, 45 minutes from Boston, mile away from a brand new train station that's opening up in 23. It will be a crown jewel of this state. You know, there was an argument at one point of actually providing new dollars, mm-hmm. was an appetite for that, so we shifted it. In terms of filling that back up, the GA has you know, started to allocate in this upcoming year $250 million toward housing. So there's clearly a budget towards it. I don't know how, much, how many shovel-ready projects there are. But in terms of when we break ground, as soon as we get to the point where we've got the stadium done and we can actually stage to start to go vertical on the housing, we'll do that. We're not going to delay for one second. Do you know when everything, all-inclusive, hotels, everything that you envision the site is going to have is going to be done? Yeah. So So – Right now, I w- what I'll tell you is because of all the multiple phasing, it's a fairly long time, realistically. I think with the housing, I just want to focus on that part. So we get the stadium, then we go vertical on both sides, 530 units of multifamily housing. I think that's done by 26. And then what I would think is, what are we going to master plan for the Apex site? Critics of subsidized sports stadiums say that they're generally just not drivers of new economic development and just the, the numbers don't work out. Why, why are they wrong? I, again, I, all I can do is speak for this project. 
my confidence, Brian, long-term. You got to look over the long arc of this project. What I would tell you is, again, I guarantee you, no one's factoring in the amount of interest and demand that exists for people to come and play in this stadium. A lot of people don't realize that a 10,000-seat multi-purpose stadium in a great location with a field that can be converted to American football, rugby, lacrosse, women's soccer, et cetera, the demand for that is going to be overwhelming. And I guarantee you, we're being way too conservative of our model. And the last thing I'd say is there's also a lot of concerts that we'll be able to promote there. Ed Sheeran? Ed Sheeran would sell that out in about a half a minute. I I do have a prominent musical artist who's going to invest into the team and stadium. Can you say who that is? I can't right now, but I look forward to it. I I literally believe I'll be in a position to announce it in the next fortnight. But what I will say is one of the biggest artists in his genre in the world. And one of his primary interests in this opportunity is because he wants to perform in the stadium. And he produces a lot of young upcoming acts and wants them to play in the stadium. So it's just my way of saying that, you know, look, I, I get the rhetoric of what we went through. It's not easy in any time to, to look for additional public support. It was important for we, us to get it. To McKee and, and uh, Grebian and everyone else's credit, we got there. And But I understand the criticism from people, but I also feel a lot of it was was election rhetoric. It was, you know, the fact that in the absence of the election, it would have been interesting to see just how much vitriol there would have existed. I think it would have been a lot less. What is your promise to Rhode Islanders in terms of the return on investment here? Yeah, first, I want to thank Rhode Islanders. I want to thank them all, regardless of where they stood on this. But in particular, the ones that this week have put season ticket deposits down, bought our merchandise, and reached out and embraced everything that we're doing. This is Rhode Island's club. We intend to make you very proud. We intend to make this your team. This is a team that we intend will win, and it will compete. And I look forward to investing whatever it takes to make sure we got the right coach, the right players, and those players are accessible, that their kids can have time with their players. Like, it's a real part of the culture, if you will. I really want people to get inspired by professional athletes, and I intend on adding a lot more sports beyond Rhode Island FC. The World Cup is upon us. Every four years, people say, all right, this is the year soccer's going to take off in America, but I think it's almost a cliche now that it's been the sport of the future for, like, generations. What is it going to take to get the game that you love to, to get more people in America to love it too. Yeah, uh, great question. It's getting there. Regardless, you know, it was a big hit four years ago when the U.S. did not qualify for the World Cup. That that was a massive sort of setback, if you will. The great news is it's the strongest team I think we've ever fielded at the World Cup. So I am truly praying that the U.S. is able to get out of a very, very tough division. They're with my friends in England. Uh, we got Wales and we got Iran. Um, so... What, what I will tell you is that for sure the next month will be consumed, whether you like it or not, by World Cup with football. And I'm confident four years from now at the conclusion of World Cup 26, I am really, really confident that the sport will firmly cement itself as the third major, giving, giving respect to NFL and NBA. European, the big European leagues have promotion and relegation in which the top teams uh, go up to, to upper leagues and the teams that don't do so well go down to lower leagues. Is there a vision for that to come to America and would you support that? In my mind, I'm the most aggressive American for pro-rail. I'm the biggest advocate for it. I can't express properly how much I believe it would transform the sport here in the States. And what I'm really appreciative relative to USL is that they have publicly stated, the league has publicly stated their intention of adopting an additional league, uh, which candidly would be some, known as a premier league, if you will, using the same nomenclature of championship, you have league one right now in USL, and adopting pro-rel. 
And I think it would be transformative. There's nothing like being in a promotion battle or a relegation battle in terms of fan experience, in terms of media interest. I mean, it's really why if you look at the television ratings of Premier League and all these foreign leagues that are doing so well, it's because Americans every single week are finding it so captivating. You know, the Ted Lasso effect has helped educate a lot of people. The guys at Wrexham are doing a lot. You know, it's a great time to be involved in the sport. Increasingly, everyone who gets tuned into that, they always ask, why don't we have it here in the States? And I, and I get it, and I can explain it relative to why relative to MLS, but I think USL has got a really interesting opportunity to look at adopting it, and if I have anything to say with it, we will. Last question. I need your hot take. Who's winning the World Cup, and how far are the Americans going to go, and is that the same question, really? I, you know, believe me, I, I, I'm such an optimist. I love the thought of it. I think all of us, we just want to get out of the group, out of the group stage. That will be seen as a very, very successful World Cup. Anything beyond that, you know, is absolute, you know, celebration time. Yeah, it's a good question. I, there's so many teams that I, I love. I mean, I got a nod to England given my Ipswich roots and affiliation. So I'll probably just stop there and say, go England, go USA, go USA, go England. Great. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for coming in. Brian, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor, follow the show, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Brian Amaral. Ed is back next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport. Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.